0: This is the Debunking Economics Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. Steve Keane is with me again. And today, another free episode of the podcast, because we wanted you to hear this. We're looking at Brexit and how it's going to happen. Uh, Theresa May, of course, has given her 12-point plan for Britain's exit from Europe. But did it really tell us anything new? And if it did... Is she giving us the right approach? More to the point, will her plan, or indeed the idea of leaving the EU at all, be to the benefit of the lower income earners in Britain? Because whatever you might think about the way the EU operates, is leaving it a little hasty. Well, the people of Britain have voted. Many want a hard Brexit because they like the idea of making a clean cut of it all. But let's remember, 44% of what we earn in overseas trade comes from Europe. We don't just want to chuck that away, do we? And look, there, there are a few things that I disagree with Steve Keen on, but Britain getting out of Europe right now is one of them. I think we should have stayed and fought for change from the inside rather than, as I see it, cutting our hand to spite our face. But maybe, uh, maybe we'll find some re- room for agreement and, and, maybe, uh, that'll be on, a, on what Theresa May had to say. Is she going about it the right way? I suspect not. But look, Steve, let's start with, you know, why you think we should be out of Europe. Have I got this right? Because we have spoken about this in the past. Your argument is that, um, the idea of free trade isn't necessarily a good one because it hinders diversity that's needed within an economy so the free trade argument is not a good one the inefficiencies and bureaucracies of the eu outweigh any benefits and i think a lot of people would agree i, I would agree with you on that as well and mm-hmm. then your other one is that the eu is going to collapse anyway so britain is giving itself a head start by by being out of it that's that's in a nutshell your the reasons you'd give for voting for brexit pretty much pretty much yeah but do you accept also that in the short term, it's also going to hurt Britain, that the person, the person who's going to feel the hurt the most is going to be the lower income households who probably did oh. vote to leave Europe because there's going to be this whole
1: transition period and it's not going to be a comfortable one. Yeah that's, that's quite feasible and uh, and of course the way it's made, going to come through of course with the devaluation then you're going to get an increase in, in, in expensive uh, food imports and yeah. oil imports and things like that which are going to get the, uh, the working class uh, bottom line. Which we're starting uh, to
0: see and we haven't seen fully of course because you know deals negotiated over a period and we haven't really seen you know we've seen the cost of living increase but it's going to increase more almost certainly
1: yeah and uh, and then that's but the, the in in some sense that this is true I'm not going to say there's going to be negatives out of all this stuff, but the working class have been screwed so so successfully by the English um system over the last forty years uh, in terms of cost of living increases uh you know poll tax, all this sort of stuff they've been copying it for ages anyway and in thickens in many ways the um, I think the European Union has been used as a cover to avoid doing things uh, domestically that they need to do. Like my favourite example there being the obsession about running a surplus now as I, I try to get this rid of people that that's not a good idea for governments to run a surplus so the best way to explain it is say well you want to save money, don't you? How do you save money? Mm. And the answer is you you can't collectively save money, the working class. Work, worker X can. The working class uh, itself can't because you've, the only way you can save more money is, is to somehow create it, and you're not allowed to make it. It's called forgery. Uh, whereas the government runs a deficit, it's effectively allowed to forge. It prints the dollar note, the pound notes, and that, that gives you increased increase money there. Um, now, that that, that that particular way of... What, what, in, what ends up with austerity programs is you screw the working class because it's all about cutting back on spending for the, uh, you know, you cut back on welfare, you cut back on uh, pension services, you cut on all these things that don't actually affect the, the ruling class mob who are making the decisions. Sure. Uh, you know, except when Cameron, of course, found that he's, he was complaining about the library services being shut down. Did you see that? Yeah, no. He wrote, you know, yeah, he wrote a letter to his local council complaining about no, the cutback on that. services yeah, yeah, exactly. being, yeah, being, yeah. being caused by his own cutbacks. So you, you, you have this whole... Um, a cover in some ways that the European Union gave to all this sort of batten down on the working class type behaviour. Right. And that's my main factor that yes, okay, the working class will suffer uh, through an increase in cost of living and so on, but some and, the and, and stuff. so on is inflation. Yeah. I
0: mean, we're going to see inflation as well. I mean, we, yeah. you know, they're we're going to but, see inflation. And, and yeah. who benefits the most from that inflation is going to be the people who've got the highest debt, people who've leveraged the most, uh, because they're the people who, you know, have got the assets to leverage against. And, um, you know, we've talked about how, uh, inflation is a, is, is a good thing in that it devalues the, the what you owe. So again, you know, uh, that inflation is going to be a, a good win for the wealthy, not such good news for, for the little people.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 all feasible. I mean, it, it, I'm not saying there are no negatives out of this. I think the negatives are massively exaggerated because the like what if you look at what the, the the Bank of England itself said, what the IMF said, what the OED said, uh, uh, they're all about uh, instant panic, total disaster the day after Brexit, the, the wheels fall off the economy, and the wheels kept on going quite nicely because mm. momentum is just as important in economics as it is in in mechanics, I and mean, the momentum kept on turning forward. Um, so. I'm not saying there aren't going to be negatives, but I'm saying that there are plenty of negatives anyway being imposed as as part of the overall political... Right. that existed but, but they, got, you, I, they got wiped out. I, for
0: sure. And I, I'm with you on that. I'm just wondering whether, in fact, we're going to make this in the short term and, and how long is that short term going to be? Because of those reasons we've just given, the cost of living is going to be more expensive. Some of the oh, benefits but, are going to be the uh, the wealthiest. And we're go- we're also going to, you know, we could find ourselves paying tariffs uh, to trade with Europe and that could amount to the billions. Maybe, you know, maybe as much as six billion pounds. So instead of the government paying a well, net uh, eight and a half billion pounds to the EU, companies might be paying something, you know, getting towards that uh, and in return the UK is going to have no control over any regulations the the EU imposes so there's going to be a cost of doing business with Europe and it's you know it is 40-44% of our our export trade I mean that's again in the short term uh, that's going to hurt isn't it?
1: Yeah, but at the same time, if if there are tariffs imposed by the British, by the European Union on Britain, there'll be tariffs imposed by Britain on the European Union. Right. And when you look at when you look at the trade balance overall, there's a, the, the, Germany in particular, of course, but the European Union in general has a trade surplus with England. So the the overall impact in that sense uh, is going to be worse. On European exports to England, then it is going to be an English export yeah. to
0: Europe. Yeah, o- over. But you said that word overall. But you look at each individual yeah. country. Uh, I mean, yeah. we're you know, forty-four percent of our trade is going to uh, is with Europe. If you look at uh, uh, Germany, it's only it's only a fraction of that. So we might be. I mean, we I think we're the third most important nation in terms of exports for Germany. And for sure, yeah. Um, you know, they are selling more to us than they're, they're buying from us. But you know, we're still what fifteen percent uh, of the of the of their total level of exports from Germany. So I mean, they, mm. you know, they'll, they'll feel there, but it's not the same as forty four percent, is it?
1: No, that's true. And the, and the, um, I mean, it's it's one of these things where you, the real focus I'm taking is that whenever these things are evaluated in standard analysis, what people focus upon is what's the impact upon the person are you as a consumer, uh, as if that is the, your fundamental role in society is to be a consumer. Now you can only be a consumer if you've got an income and yep. my focus is on the opposite side and saying what's going to happen to the people as producers, as income generators. Uh, how, how is this, the to change, going to affect you? And on the same basis that this was an argument in favour of free trade, it'll be cheaper for you, as a consumer, assuming, and this is quite seriously what happened in all these bloody academic papers that justify free trade, uh, assuming what once was said to me by uh, Alan Powell, you might not remember his name, but he was at the time he was the director of Australia's uh, what they call Industry Assist- Assistance Commission, which the unions down there nicknamed the Industry Assassination Commission, and he gave a paper at a conference uh, I organised back in the 1980s, uh, I think it might in the 1970s, I'm showing my age here, um, on tra- trade with, a, with trade with a Southeast Asia, and at the title of the conference is Trade to Whose Advantage? Mm. And he presented the results of a general equilibrium model, the economy, uh, where there were going to be a 25% cut and tariffs. And these days, of course, tariffs are substantial. You're talking tariffs of sixty and eighty uh, percent on textiles and things like that. A twenty-five percent cut in the tariffs in, uh, for uh, textiles and footwear and motor vehicles and one, one other industry classification. And he had a line in the paper saying, assuming good macroeconomic management. So you can guess who challenged him. What does that actually mean? Yeah. And the translation of good macroeconomic management was there be no net loss of jobs because of the tariff cut. Right. No, I'm sorry, you just you, that's what you can assume if you're writing an academic paper for a bunch of wankers in a conference seminar somewhere, but you, if you're, you're going to impose that on the real world, you're assuming a 25% cut in your tariffs overnight, which is what, of course, the Australian government did do in the 1970s under Gough Whitlam, following the advice of these people, uh, is going to have no impact on aggregate employment. Now, if that's true, go for it, because you, know, you gain as a consumer, you don't lose as a producer, whoopee-doo, everybody comes out better. Um, that's why Trump won. Imposing mm-hmm. nonsense policies like that is why Trump won. And from my perspective, has been you cannot ignore um, the, the role of people as producers when you make decisions about changing policies that are going to affect consumers as well. And so my feeling is, yes, okay, uh, Brexit is going to damage the strain, the English working class as consumers because they will face an increase in basic costs like oil. And the, the massive food imports Britain has to me, you don't grow strawberries in Britain, you certainly don't grow, you know, develop wine in Britain, uh, yeah, you've got to import those things, so yes those costs are going to rise. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that's going to, you're going to also grow out of a 20-25% uh, devaluation, which just shows how overvalued the currency was beforehand, by the way. There's
0: yeah. If, kind of if, it sticks, if it sticks, if it sticks, of course. I mean, maybe, you know, yeah. you know, the way the markets operate, it could, it could bounce yeah, back. Yeah. You know, in 10 years, it might be back where it is now. And that, that competitive advantage of the devalued currency
1: disappears. But in the meantime, it might give a chance to fix up the damage that's occurred in the, in, in over, over the period when we have had the overvalued exchange rate and when that's been pretty much the same time. And it's, I think there's certainly a link at uh, the same time we've been members of the European Union. Because if you go back 25 years, roughly, uh, manufacturing employment and manufacturing GDP, you know, GDP in particular, in England, was about 23% of the total GDP. Now it's about 11 now, over the same time period, Germany's gone from 20, roughly 23% to roughly 23%. Yeah. So there's been a huge des- in, you know halving at the scale of manufacturing employment in this country, and therefore people have got, you know, they've got. Normally, as we know now, if you if you're a working class. What they mean by a service job for you is working in Tesco's or working in a you know, zero-hour contract somewhere. Uh, for, the, for the wealthy, a service job means selling debt to people from the city and making a fortune, but uh, with, a, with a relatively secure job. So they've been done in as producers all the way through. Yeah. And my focus is saying, okay, yes, okay, they might lose as consumers. It's got some chance of turning around what's happened to them as, as, as producers. And as income but, but, but producing, but producing
0: what is the, is, is the question? Because yeah. if you, if, if there's a tariff play, I think what you're trying to say is if, well, if we've got tariffs with Europe, then some of the stuff that comes from Europe now might be made in the UK. But that wasn't at all mentioned, was it in Theresa May's speech? Out of her 12 points, she didn't say anywhere. Well, this is an opportunity for Britain to produce. It was all about being a global Britain. And there's nothing saying, well, now we can start creating stuff for a domestic market that we might have been importing from Europe because, uh, uh because the tariff banners are going to
1: Go up, and I think that's what yeah, you're well, saying. There's it, the opportunity. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. Yeah. In, it wasn't in their speech at all. Look, I'd be surprised if it was. <laughs> 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 uh, we, we're dealing with a bunch of politicians who've grown up in the Blairite days and the belief in neoliberal e- economic and political policies. Uh, of course, they don't even think about this. Right, because why, and because
0: a Right, and because they're not thinking about it, it means they're not doing anything about it. Because of course, you know, you uh, we've talked a lot about how uh, labour doesn't adapt immediately. So there's, you know, to, you've, you've, first of all, it's got to be part of your policy, and secondly, mm-hmm. it's going to take time. You can't no, suddenly in create fact, industries in, in- overnight
1: in fact I think it might be better if it's not part of their policy Because I, I mean I had a bit of a little satirical piece for a new um, uh, online journal called The Verdict a couple of days ago and, and that was you know asking me to comment on, on the whole Brexit etc etc and I said I started off with a quote from uh, one of the few episodes of uh, Harry Potter that I've seen uh, where the, the Harry Potter and Hermione are about to magically appear somewhere else in the in the uh, Rowling's universe and, and Hermione says look we've got to have a plan and and, and and Harry says, "Hang on, we we make a plan, we get somewhere. All hell breaks loose. When have any of our plans ever actually worked?" <laughs> right. Okay. okay? Now but- that's a bit like economic <laughs> policy. I mean, they're doing it by accident by causing a devaluation. That is, it shows how little they think about manufacturing. If you didn't say, "What's going to happen if the lower with a lower pound is sustained?"
0: But it's what's going to change in reality? So we have so if if we'd have tariff barriers going up with the EU, first of all. Ten percent is not a whole heap, particularly when you've you know we've got a devalued currency. So will it uh, will it be enough? For, uh, I guess it will, the, the devalued currency works the other way when we're starting to talk about imports. Oh. But is it is oh. it still going to be enough for companies to say, oh, here's an opportunity to sell on the domestic market, and these companies spring up magically from nowhere? I mean, it's going to, it could take decades, couldn't it, for that sort of thing to happen? It and, trend, uh, and
1: this is what It's much easier to destroy an industry by cutting tariffs than it is to create an industry by by putting tariffs up. Yeah, and that's a. You, you might be, you're not old enough, you know, you went long enough in Australia to know this one, but back in 1972, 73, uh, the major manufacturer of, of uh, televisions, as so I was called, AWA... Australian wireless amalgamated. Yeah, I remember, I remember that tower in the centre okay, of town. They, mm. Well, the tower's still there. The company got destroyed when, uh, when uh, Gough Whitlam followed the advice of, the, not, not of Alan Powell, but one of his predecessors, the Industries Assassination Commission, uh, that one way to reduce inflation was to cut tariffs by 25% overnight without warning, Yeah, which was done bugger oil impact on the inflation rate because as you say all these contracts tend to be much more long term and that was a chance for a bit of profit gouging by foreign foreign producers selling into the country but that was the end of AWO having any chance in the market and it disappeared and so did the manufacturing jobs that went with it and so on so um it's it, this sort of um, thing where you, you destroy the industry very rapidly. the build in the opposite direction, much much harder. But one encouraging, I'm not going to say it's uh... you know the, it's the it's the um, peace in our times movement. But the the trade deficit increased in the last couple of months for England largely because of a substantial increase in capital goods imports. So it implies there is some people saying, well, with this price advantage, is uh, now if if we if you think about somebody who's actually importing components or importing uh, Components from manufacturing process if you're importing them from overseas and suddenly they get the the, if it is a a spot market And they pick to be 20-25 percent more expensive. That's the level I think well, it's actually probably cheaper to make it ourselves so there it is some momentum there. The industry hasn't been completely destroyed. I mean, you are mm. talking 11% of GDP. I'm sure that's about twice the level that applies in Australia, for example. But, um, but, but, but So you, the, there is a potential.
0: But using your argument back at you that it's, you know, it's a lot easier to destroy a, a, a market through tariffs than it is to mm-hmm. drop the tariff and have them created. If you're running a car plant selling to the people of Europe and you build it in the UK um, mm-hmm. and then a tariff is introduced for importing into the Eurozone, I mean, you might stay in the UK because wages are low, but you know, it, it, uh, and that sort of compensates for the for the oh. for the ten percent tariff. But then, if wages start to increase, if you know, if Britain doesn't accept the fact that it, you know, perhaps it needs to be the Mexico of Europe, um, you know, the, the, that car company surely at some point is going to say, well, you know, there really is very little advantage here. Most of our market is inside the eurozone. Let's move there.
1: Well, it's also a question of. Um a link you want to have between highly skilled work and low skilled work in a manufacturing process. There's actually an excellent article, I think it's in the New York Review of Books, uh, maybe New York Times, talking about people who voted for Trump and saying, why did they vote for them? Who are these working class people who have thrown their lot in with Trump rather than the Democrats? And a guy went inside when an industry making, a factory making fuel injectors, and found that when you looked very, very carefully at the, uh, the processes involved in manufacturing a fuel injection system for an automobile, uh, the level of skill you needed to control the computer-driven device that did the incredibly, like, a micro, fractions of a micron adjustments to the, uh, to, the, to the size of the nozzles and the uh, timing rates being done in micro, microsecond timing rates... To make sure each fuel injecting unit was was sound, uh, required a not quite a university level, but a high, tech, high technical college level. Where you had to understand computer programming, the Linux, the Linux uh, operating system, a huge range of things to drive this machine properly. And you're looking at about five years of training, and you wanted to have you know, somebody who had the, the academic background to do that, or intellectual background to do it. You then had to put it inside a housing. Now, the housing itself is something which, the the job of putting the fuel injection unit inside the housing involves a machine which takes about a day to learn how to operate. Mm. And the thing is, do you do that domestically in America or do, do you do it in Mexico? Be, you know, you'd pay one-tenth as much, well, not quite that, but I'd say one-fifth as much for the wages in New Mexico as you pay in America. But the shipping costs involved in getting there, the turnaround time, et cetera, et cetera, and the fact that if anything goes wrong, you've got to rep- a remote factory rather than a local worker you can go and berate for making a mistake, um, that was so substantial that you need a huge gap in the, in the, in the price uh, cost levels to make it worth your while to do it. And therefore, this factory was used had both the highly skilled worker making the fuel injection unit and the unskilled worker, but in intensely competitive unskilled worker they were profiling, uh, doing the housing machine. Now, it's a similar sort of calculation here. If you have um, a small change in the tariff then it's just not going to have much of it. In in the the, um, exchange rate and also any any tariff rules, it's not going to have much of an impact. But if it gets to the stage where it's big enough to say, God, the cost advantage is is still there for producing the stuff offshore, but it's 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 so small now compared to all the difficulties that throws in our way, the logistics of shipping parts for manufacturing overseas and bringing them back in, quality control and so on. Uh, that's enough, that can be enough. So it's got to be a substantial Well, it, it
0: introduces a new element of risk, doesn't it? You know, on, the, yeah. on, the, on, the, on your business plan, there's a, a fluctuation there in exchange rates that you didn't have before.
1: Which if you had, like, domestic manufacturing, you wouldn't have that fluctuation. So yeah. that, that is one reason that the, the, the substantial devaluation England has achieved. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's suffered, it's achieved out of, Leaving the uh, plan, voting to leave the euro, the European Union, that's given it a, probably enough to make it attractive to bring some of this manufacturing back on shore. Right.
0: But I mean, I mean I guess about- back, that gets back to my point, though, because it is yeah. suffering uh, in the short term, isn't it? Particularly yeah. for low income. But let's look at the look- same time, yep. Yeah. Let's look, at, let's look at another aspect of this. I mean, I mean, out of all of this, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that again, there was nothing mentioned at all about how, uh, that you know, we, we talk about how we're going to be a new global Britain. So, you know, mm. new trade is going to come our way. So, we're going to somehow uh, replace mm. this 44% of, uh, of trade that we're doing with Europe with new trade agreements elsewhere. But there's, you know, been no talk from the government about how those trades are going to develop. There was no talk about education mm. or, for example, for the people of Sunderland, who might lose you know at some point might lose a car plant uh, importing in those alternate industries which will you know we sp- will spring up because of the opportunity because of uh, the exchange rate and you know maybe the fact that we we um, uh, we can produce stuff domestically now that we're importing from europe no talk at all from the government was there about how this is going to happen it's just magically uh, going to be created
1: yeah, well, then again, that's also focusing on trade rather than focusing on local industry development. Yeah. And as I've said, the, the, when you look empirically at, the, at, at what actually causes economies to grow faster... It's never been trade in the first instance. It's, it's always been, been domestic. Domestic yeah. development. And, and that's like where the atlas the, of the economic complexity that Harvard University runs with data scientists rather than economists behind it. Danny Roddick's work on the same front, looking historically at successful cases of industrialization and growth like Japan and South Korea over time. It's always been a focus on industrial development. And because we have neoliberal policies like May, uh, politicians, like me, still making up the decisions and doing the thinking about this. They're still thinking inside the framework. Well, trade and specialisation—that's what matters. They're mm. wrong. Yeah. So, I, in that sense, I, I, I was. In that sense, pleased to see at least bursting their bloody policy bubble. Because unless we burst the bubble substantially, we're going to continue with these policies, focusing on things that don't work. Well,
0: so she and she is doing that, isn't she? So she's saying, well, if we don't get a free trade agreement with Europe, then we're going to get free trade agreements with everyone else, countries like yeah. the US. Well, guess what? I mean, we already export fifteen percent of our goods to the US as it stands. Uh, you know, are we really going to get much more just because Donald Trump says his mum likes it here? You know, we might get a few extra, yeah. might get a few extra. Yeah. Tell nights out of that one, but are we going to see a substantial increase? And why? And we're getting that without a free trade agreement. And look, you and I have uh, have seen the uh, the perils of uh, free trade agreements with uh, with the US because the Trans-Pacific Partnership, you know, meant uh, for Australia, for example, uh, the danger was lower cost unbranded medicine would disappear. Governments were going to be forced to inflict heavier controls on copyright infringement. Their mm. impacts on the legal system, uh, the, the pain. In fact, the sorts of influence we have from the EU. In fact, I mean. You enter into a free trade agreement with the U.S. You're almost certainly going to see, you know, very similar. It's, it's free trade means the opposite, doesn't it? Generally, free trade yeah, means with, well, with, uh, what what restrictions are we going to impose on you?
1: Well, particularly with America, I mean, this is this is one of the insane things about focusing on free trade agreements is the be all and end all. Because you're right, the Americans use these things to get their dominance of basically copyright. And I mean, my favorite there, I don't know how many people know of this, what's good, the the the, cop- the the length of of, of time. Uh, after the author, author's death that copyright is maintained on some literary work, I think is now at the order of 70 years. And why is it 70 years? It's because it's about 70 years since Walt Disney died. And every year that, every, every uh, you know, there they used to be 25 years. I think it used to be 20, uh, the <laughs> age of the author was 25. Yeah. Then it got to be, so Mickey Mouse was about to go out of copyright. So bang, it became 20 plus 40. Then became plus 50, and then plus 60, plus 70. And the Americans of course because they own this copyright, uh they're 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 quite happy to go and back so that when you sign up that so called free trade agreement, what it does it locks you to American copyright terms and you've got to continue giving copyright to these things fifty and seventy years after the author died. There's no bloody reason why Mickey Mouse should be earning revenue for Donald for, for for um for Walt Disney's uh, whoever owns what what Walt Disney's uh, capital went to it's so that's that's the insane element of these things and uh, the naivety of governments particularly like Malcolm Turnbull on the front saying what a great deal of TPP would be for Australia and why did you know how terrible was Bill Shorten said he'd f- oppose it it's a disaster so in in that sense uh, all this obsession with free trade agreements and free trade regions and so on first of all is based on a false vision of specialization as the ideal. Target for industrial growth when in fact it's diversification that empirically succeeds. And secondly, I think it's because politicians get a chance to go and sign something and be seen to do something, Mm. and that's what they want to do. It's it's the vision of them doing something, and uh, it's all tied up with a status thing that the politicians have gained out of the whole neoliberal period. And frankly, again back to the mistakes, I'd rather I'd rather see them get out of the way uh, in that sense and. Rather, rather, we we need a we need a U here, not a may. Yeah. And, so, I
0: mean, it, that, so isn't there a danger that you know we are going to what whatever the benefits might be of of pulling out of the EU that we're going to stuff it up by uh, taking exactly the wrong policy direction and, and
1: and missing the opportunity. Well that's why I'm glad to see that but the pound has fallen so, so so much. that's that sort of is ending a speculative bubble that kept the pound too high to begin with and it's equally possible that the tariffs will have a similar sort of impact because that in effect a tariff increase is like a further devaluation in terms of the the cost advantages for local industry so Uh, I think again by accident rather than by design. Right, but again in the short term,
0: people feel hurt from that. I can see. I can see where you say it's an opportunity for domestic domestic business to grow, Mm. but uh, you know, and also for for international trade. once you know, know, perhaps new new industries will emerge, but they they could take a generation, couldn't they? And in the meantime, we've got uh, you know the uh, the the working class potentially losing jobs. If they're not losing jobs, they're not seeing uh, an increase in their salaries, but they are seeing an increase in the cost of living. They are going to be substantially worse off.
1: but in, but at the same time, I and mean, the, the whole pressure on reducing wages. I mean, the, and that's it, talk about you know that we don't have class conflict anymore. Yes, we do. It's the 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 bosses win it rather than the workers. That's been the the, the driving down in in wages uh, in England over time. The pressure to reduce wages. Apparently, and in terms, of, I, mean, I can't I can't swear by this, but I've seen. Uh, some data and, and, and graphs alleging that the fall in, in wages since the since the 2008 crisis in England has only been equaled by the fall in wages in Greece. Mm. So in, in that sense, uh, one thing which has also come out of this, uh, leaving the European Union, is again the pressure on trying to reduce wage rises. That disappeared. And the politicians have been supporting that pressure to reduce wages and the belief that makes England more competitive. Um, it there are better ways to be competitive than driving your wage costs down.
0: Right, but that's what's going to happen isn't it? So I mean, another point from Theresa May was, you know, threatening that uh, if we don't get a free trade agreement with the EU, and of course that's what she was asking for, she was saying, well we don't Uh want to be part of the EU, but we do want to have a free trade agreement. So we don't want to pay any of Uh the costs for being part of the EU, Uh but we want to have a free trade agreement, and we don't want to, you know, presumably in that free trade agreement she's going to want none of the regulations that come with being in the EU, which, uh, good luck with that one, we know that's not going to happen. Uh So then we go to a threat, which is the if we don't get that then the uk is going to become a low tax low regulation economy now that sounds you know great for the multinationals is going to do nothing at all for wages apart from pushing them down uh, even further so what she's saying is yep uh, bad news for the workers
1: yeah yeah i mean it's uh, the, the the mess we've made by following these neoliberal, neoliberal policies rather than the McCandless stuff that you had for happening in South in China and Japan and most of Southeast Asia uh, is coming home to roost in terms of income distribution and, and and wages for workers in this country. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I I, You're I I. Speechless. You're speechless. But I, I, wonder, I, I want watch this watch moment to be recorded. Yeah. Uh, Steve Keen yeah. gets speechless on this one. Yeah. So uh, relatively, relatively, yeah.
0: Uh, what because about? It? It, so what about, yeah. what about, I mean, it, the, the, the reason, of course, people think that they are uh, being hard done by and their wages aren't increasing is because of immigration, which, of course, is the, the big issue behind all of this. Uh, people uh-huh. want to control who comes here and why. I mean, we, you know, that famous John Howard line, the, uh, the Australian prime minister, he said, we will decide who comes to this country and in which circumstances they come. Uh, but the UK obviously doesn't want to cut immigration off totally because uh, otherwise businesses would close and taxes would disappear unless we believe uh-huh. what uh, Katie Hopkins claimed this week that there are millions, yes, millions of uh, migrants under the radar here who don't pay taxes. But, I mean, we're still going to need people, uh, particularly if we've got growing businesses. Um, So, really, control of immigration. But, you know, is it really going to have too much of uh, of an impact unless, you know, Katie Hopkins is right and there's lots of people who aren't paying tax? Otherwise, you know, what impact is a control of immigration really
1: going to have? Well, I mean, the real reason that that makes an issue, I can go back to quoting Win Godley from 1992, and you, you couldn't get a more um, um, racially reasonable person than Win. He was absolutely no racial attitude or anti-migrant attitude whatsoever in his his logic. He wrote that, given the design of the European Union, uh, when it caused when when a crisis occurred, uh, then that would force governments to cut back on spending when the economy itself was reducing spending spending. Uh, and therefore, the only the only way out would be emigration as an alternative to poverty or starvation, quote unquote. Mm. Now, is dead right? We have a systemic failure with the European Union through the euro. Uh, there is, in that basis, there is emigration occurring not because people prefer to move from one country to another. I call episodic emigration, emigration uh, because they have no choice. It's either that or starvation, and that's that's systemic. Immigration, right? But why? But if
0: if you if UK wages are not going anywhere, why would they come here? Why wouldn't
1: they go to Germany? (laughs) They do go to Germany as well. Mm. The Germany is copying this at the same time. So you you get quite strong pressure in Germany right now, anti-migrant, out of the same phenomenon. But certainly, English wages haven't fallen as badly as Spanish wages, for example. Yeah. Uh, and and if you're looking if you're not caught up in the in the low the low in, income end of the spectrum then certainly there are better pay prospects here than there are in most of the European Union and in the countries bordering it that are mistakenly trying to join it so those those sorts of of pressures uh, mean that you have systemic levels of immigration when it was only ever designed for episodic levels of immigration, and that has been. And at the same time, of course, with austerity being imposed by the by the conservatives here, you had a cutback in services in the regions where a lot of these migrants were turning up, and that's where a lot of the tension came from. And historically, too, the only time that immigration has not caused political conflict is when there's been full employment. Mm. Now we've let that go by the wayside, and we're wondering why the working class is complaining. Uh, one of my favourite papers ever is by a historical paper back in the 1970s by I think, a Macquarie University economist called Marie de Leprevanche. And she wrote a piece about the, the profile of the political conflict in Australia uh, over about 150 years uh, of emigration. And you, she said the political opposition to the next wave of emigration came from the previous wave because they were the ones who were threatened by losing their jobs. But we have
0: right, but we've got a we've got an up op- we've got an opportunity, haven't we, to um to develop new industries? That's what you're saying. The the big opportunity is with a uh, with with, the, with brought on by yeah. the exchange rate. The fact that the uh, the pound is is uh is is worth a, a lot less. So that has a you know a, 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 it's a two benefits one is that it makes imports more expensive so that, uh, it gives a, cha- a leg up for domestic industries and secondly if those domestic industries then export then it's cheaper to export so for that and, for, for that growth you're going to need labor and uh, you know yeah. and you're going to need some of those industries are going to need low cost labor and uh, some of that low cost labor is not going to uh, exist in the UK so we are going to need and, and it's going to need expertise as well which we might not have um so you know we're going to need uh, a, a, an immigration policy i guess the difference is that we have a bit more control over uh over what sorts of people are coming in.
1: Yeah, and you also would have, I mean, there are a lot of people who are working in welfare jobs and you know, living on welfare, working in, in zero-hour contract jobs here and so on, who would do a lot better if they got rather more reliable employment in, in, in a factory situation as unskilled labour, which they used to have. I mean, there's the other thing we have to talk about at some stage as well is the trend for employment overall as technology continues pushing towards the, the point where we just don't – we will we'll need very little labour, certainly very little unskilled labour to manufacture. And right. then that's got huge income distribution elements as well. But all – um, I, I, yeah, the, I
0: agree. I agree with you on that. But all of all of these things are perhaps, you know, to, to 10, 20, uh, 30 years down the line. and uh, And yet Britain leaving the EU is happening – uh, you know, immediately, and I, I, what I'm again getting back to is, mm-hmm. you know, who's who's taking the short term hit? And well,
1: uh, uh, my my feeling is, yes, you might take a short term hit. Like it's really, really um, terrifying to jump out of an aeroplane uh, when it seems to be flying well, but if it crashes uh, twenty minutes after you jump out, you sort of think. Oh, gee, it was worth that, uh, worth yeah, that you game. You actually haven't got a rush. parachute on. <laughs> and <you've got> to <laughs> In have case, you par- par- we, just we, die we a have earlier, we, we, <laughs> we have a parachute. And just, all the images, you see all these bloody cartoons of cats jumping off roofs and missing the next one and falling into a into a tank down below is the image of what's actually happened with Brexit. It may be that Britain has started the process of leaving a sinking ship before the sink- ship actually starts to sink. Right. And that's, that's ultimately, that's my reason for saying it. It's, it has, certainly has short-term pain. Uh, there are big question marks about whether the benefits will be sufficient to make up for it, but I think the whole damn thing is going to collapse anyway. And because Britain yeah, actually started doing it beforehand it's going to find, oh, gee, we actually got prepared for this. What right. a shock.
0: Right. But it, before it collapses, I and mean, you know, who's who's to know? I mean, even Le Pen is saying that she wants to she wants to remain within Europe. She just wants to be uh, out of the euro. But and That's uh, huge. So uh, when they're
1: out of the euro, then everything else changes as well. So
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, but it's, it's looking less and less likely, though. I mean, we're, we've been surprised, of course, numerous times. It's looking less, less and less likely that Le Pen's going to win, but you never know. But, uh, mm. you know, so the, there could be a, ch- a change in the shape of politics in Europe. Absolutely. Absolutely this year uh, we we also have the the big problem with regional differences within the UK and I don't know how this is going to wash so Scotland wants out there's no solution and, and again Theresa May was saying you know we'll find a solution to that land border in Ireland um, I don't know how she's going to do it without policing it uh, and dividing the island of Ireland she she talks of, of a plan to strengthen the union between the four nations of, of the UK I mean she's got to be kidding on this hasn't she there is no answer we are going to have a land border with the European community uh, and uh, if you want to uh, control Immigration. Uh, if you don't want free movement of people, you've got to have someone there checking passports on the way in. That means dividing the island of Ireland. There's no other way. Yeah, I know. That's a, again.
1: It's there's there's nothing. I mean, pe- one one of my favourite lines in a pretty bad movie, the old movie Cocktail, was just after what's his name, the American actor who belongs to Scientology. Um, had broken up with his girlfriend, and she came out. They uh, behaved appallingly inside an art gallery, and she came out and he, she said, "Look, it shouldn't end this badly." And he says, "Things always end badly. That's why they end." And in in, in, in that sense, I think yes, it's 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 going to be messy for sure. Yep. And, and yes, you're right. That's a border issue, and the last thing that kind of part of Ireland needs is more tension. Right.
0: Absolutely. So that's going to be bad. And there's going to be a lot of people hurting. And I'd get to my, you know, the final question, a yes or no one for you on this, um, because I agree with, you know, almost everything you're saying. I agree with the ideology. And, then, and my concern is that we're fighting an ideology against a, a short-term reality. and uh, And the short-term reality could be that the common man in the UK, those who've listened to Nigel Farage about taking back control, they're the ones who could be worse off and they could possibly be worse off for the rest of their
1: lives. I don't think for the rest of their lives that of this one decision. But what I do think, that we are fighting an ideology, and the ideology I'm fighting is neoliberalism. Yeah, yeah. And in that case, this is a defeat for neoliberalism, and it's about time we've got them. So, And it's happening all over the globe, as we know as well. So that, that's why I still think uh, this is... Neoliberalism is based on an idea that we know how to manage the economy. Well, look, they that got us. And this is a defeat for that ideology, and that's at least a start in the right direction. Right. And everything Theresa May said
0: yesterday... Uh, any value in any of it it seems to be that she's saying yet what we had is a problem and we are going to uh just continue with that problem by
1: having the problem with someone
0: else rather than having it with europe
1: yeah there's no no particular insight there but then again there's a bit policy by accident works better than policy by design when you're designers and they're liberals
0: (laughs) all right so in other words let's hope she doesn't do too much exactly (laughs) all right same for a lot of politicians i think all right good to talk steve uh we'll talk again soon Yeah, to me, all I heard from Theresa May was this veiled threat that if Britain doesn't get what it wants, it's going to go somewhere else, uh, somewhere that's not just a narrow strip of water away. And for all that talk of a global Britain, well, how's that going to happen? What are we going to sell? And what's the government going to do to help those new businesses to develop? In short, I think it was all talk... And very little substance from Tourism May, but are we surprised? Uh, back in a few days with another podcast, another Debunking Economics podcast with me and Steve Keen. You can subscribe at debunkingeconomics.com. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.